This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. Which, of course, is the first book of the Old Testament, so there's not a lot of turning to do. If you have an electronic Bible that you're using, if you could just make the sound of the pages turning, we'll know when you get there. (laughs) Or maybe we don't need to know that much, I don't know. It's good to be in the house of God this morning. I'm so thankful to God for all that he's done in our lives up to this point. I really believe that God has something good for us today. The results are in. We are inextricably bound to the world of sin that we live in. It's difficult for me to imagine what it was like in that first creation, you know, that, that creation where to be surrounded by paradise. Maybe you've been to a Caribbean island on a beach someplace in, sometime in your life or been on a really nice beach someplace and, or in the jungle someplace. I've just seen the pristineness of that and to imagine being the first created people. Imagine what that would be like, you know. Um, just running around naked in the middle of the woods, you know, just uh, completely oblivious to the fact that you are naked, you know, you're just innocent. You know, little kids like to take their diaper off and run around. You ever, if you have kids, you've seen that, or you've been around kids, you've seen that, right, where they, uh, right, where they, uh, just strip naked, run through the yard. They don't care if the president's visiting. They don't care who. They just run right through the middle of the house, right? They don't care. And if you're lucky, you might get a little dance move as they go by you, you know, and their little naked self as they're going by. Just innocent, lost in the innocence. And, and what it must have been like to be in a paradise created for mankind to enjoy forever. And uh, it must have been just completely overwhelming, yet somehow... We screwed that up, didn't we? (laughs) Somehow we fell. Today I want to look at the anatomy of a temptation because I think if we see the way the enemy works, because he's not very creative, he still uses the same tactics now as he did back then. If we see that, we recognize that we'll find a way for, for us to deal with those temptations when they come our way and we'll find strength in that. In order to really take a look at that, we need to kind of take a look at the severity of falling, you know, giving in to one temptation. This one temptation that happened in Genesis 3 left a bunch of uh, circumstances and consequences. Uh, Let me run through a few of them. The first thing is, uh, with the wisdom that came along with the partaking of that fruit, and I'm sure you know the story where Eve eats the fruit and and then this wisdom comes to her, comes also shame. They immediately know now that they're naked. And, you know, the scripture tells us that they went and sewed themselves some fig leaf clothing. They tried to feebly cover their sin, you know, their disobedience with leaves, if you can imagine that. And so they, here they are, um, and we see this kind of comically presented to us at, at times, but... The reality of it is it's the feebleness of man's attempt to cover his sin before God 
is what we see in that. And so uh, there's this awareness of shame. We would uh, call this a sort of a sin consciousness. Sin consciousness is the awareness that we are sinners. This is significant for us because when we step into the presence of God, sin consciousness acknowledges that we are sinners and plagues us with that beatdown of condemnation and conviction in the presence of the Lord that we aren't worthy to stand in the presence of the Lord. That's why the scripture says that in the New Testament time, the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience so we can now stand in the presence of the Lord without that browbeating of that sin consciousness that bears down on us and keeps hammering away. Have you ever felt unworthy to be in the presence of the Lord? Uh, many times I've come to the Lord and thought, why in the world would he ever answer me? And yet, at the same time, I know it's his desire, his love, his passion to, to minister and to, to help us and to be our help in times of trouble. And so... Um, we have to work through that sin consciousness. And so one of the results of that fall is not only the awareness of our shame, but the, the sin consciousness that comes upon, it, then upon us. Then there's the separation of, of uh, us from God. That same sin consciousness keep, pushes us away. We see this happen in Adam and Eve. When they sin, immediately what do they do? They don't run to a loving God who created everything for them, knowing that He's merciful, loving, and forgiving. They run away from God, and they, they try to get away where their conscience won't pang them anymore. And so we see that manifest in our humanity around us where oftentimes we sin and then we put ourselves in a place where we're not in the presence of the Lord so we don't have to feel the pangs of that conscience. And so we see people in many ways doing this, uh, avoiding the church or avoiding being around Christians when the reality of what they need most of all is the presence of God in their life that will bring healing and restoration into their life. And so we see this, this result in our life. Sometimes we see a third thing, which is the, uh, the result of the curse that comes upon humanity. Women give birth in pain. Men labor. Society is male-dominated. The Scripture tells us that that is, uh, is part of the, of the curse, that... Uh, that men uh, will labor, but they won't get the full fruits of their labor. They'll always be uh, trying to work through thorns and thistles, and the ground will take its, its, its toll. And so we see that happen. Then we know as parents, we recognize we have an eternal enemy. The promise was to uh, Adam and to Eve that their, their fruit, their children, would always be at enmity with the evil one who would always be coming against them. So there's this Every parent in here knows at this moment in time, wherever your children are, the enemy is seeking to devour them. Every, every, and we, we should not downplay that. You say, yeah, but I'm a Christian. Yeah, but the enemy is still the enemy. And he hasn't stopped seeking to tempt them. He hasn't stopped seeking to ruin their lives or to separate them from the love of God. He hasn't tried to, to uh, move them away from eternal truth. And so... Um, we see that thing being borne out in us. And then, of course, they're banished from paradise. And uh, they can no longer go to the tree of life. It's interesting in the scripture, we begin in Genesis with the tree of life. We end in Revelation with the tree of life. And the only way you can get from that tree of life to that tree of life is if you go through the tree of death that we celebrated this morning at the communion table. And unless you come to the cross, the tree of death, you will never be able to find the tree of life again. 
sort of a great, great bookends in the Bible right there. Anyway, so we find ourselves in Genesis 3, asking the question, you know, what should we learn from our enemy's tactic, and what can we see in this? So let's pray real quick this morning and ask the Lord to help me to say this in 14 minutes. Oh God, we must have faith. Lord, help us to look at this, to see the tactic of our enemy, the devourer, the one who comes after us, the accuser of the brethren, the one who comes to destroy. Help us to see his tactics so that we can stand strong in the face of temptation. Help us to recognize the the strength it takes, Lord God, to live as followers of Jesus. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Genesis 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals of the Lord, the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the, in the garden, but God, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And you will, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Basically, it all comes down to two things, the lie and the look. The enemy comes specifically with this purpose, to defeat the word of God that's in the children of God. The reason the enemy tempts you, the reason he comes after you, is he wants to fight against the word of God that's been deposited in your soul. We learn in Luke chapter 8, verse 12, that the, the, the devil comes for the specific purpose of the word. That the word of God is sown into our hearts. Your future, your destiny, the promise of God that he has for your life, all the things that God is going to do in your future is birthed out of the word that has been uh, deposited in, as a seed form in your life. Every good thing begins in seed form when you receive the word of God. It comes out of that word of God. And that's been deposited in your soul. The promise to Adam was that he was given this wonderful world to subdue and, and to bring leadership and to bring the chaos to order. And, to, and, he was, and God had given all this for, for him. And all he had to do was enjoy everything that God gave him and don't enjoy the one thing that God did not give him to enjoy. And yet, he, he failed in this capacity simply because he fell prey to the theft of this word, the word that God had put on the inside of his heart. The enemy comes to tempt you and I in such a way that he wants to steal your future. 
He wants to steal the promise of God in your life. He wants to steal your calling out of your life. He wants to steal the, the healing that God has for you out of your life. Why does he do that? Because he knows that that is the key for you. That is the, the thing that's going to unlock your destiny. He's, if God has put a call on your life, if God is calling something out of you, that word is the promise that you hold on to. And so while we may be... Uh, Tempted, while we may be assailed by the enemy, we have to remember that we're guarding this precious gift that's been deposited on the inside of us. That the seed of the word has been put in your heart for a specific purpose. That God's calling and his purpose to you is so that you will hold on to this thing that he's put on the inside of you. The vision of the ministry that he's called you to. The vision of your service to him. This thing that he's deposited in your soul is there. And it is there and it is tempting for the enemy to come after that thing that he's put on the inside of you. He longs to pickpocket you. He longs to steal that which is... And so the enemy comes to Eve and he says, Did God really say? Immediately he begins to cause doubt of the word that she's received. God spoke to her. I mean, come on now. If I'm in prayer up here and the Lord speaks to me audibly, Dave, go eat chilaquiles. Right? Immediately I jump to my feet and I begin to run towards the nearest chilaquiles I can find. Or I just get so excited I pass out because I don't know where to find chilaquiles. <laughs> so I, I get so excited. And you come up and say, how about burgers? I've just been talking to God. And he gave me a command. A command that he didn't say, go scrub the floor. Now I would probably get up and do it, but it would be less exciting. The command that he gave to Eve was pleasant. You can have all this stuff, just not that one thing. You can have all this stuff, but just not that. Just don't, just don't have that one thing, but enjoy all of it. It's all yours for enjoyment. I've given you all this. You are rich. You, the, the whole earth has been created for you to enjoy. That's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, too, that all that we see around us is for us to enjoy. Creation remains for us. And so she is given this great promise. And so immediately she's just been talking to God, and now the enemy comes and somehow he's able to cause doubt, confusion. Did God really say? Did God really say that you can't you can't have any of these trees? That's the third thing we see. That he lies. He assassinates the character of God. God didn't say not to have any of this. He's trying to make God seem stingy. You can't have any fun. When I wasn't living for God, I looked at people like you, people who live a Christian life, and I thought, look at these freakos. They're in bondage. They're not free. Like me. Think about that for a second, right? Now, what you thought about church people before you became church people? 
you said, man, these people are bound up. What a bunch of uptight people. Right? They're, they're in bondage. And then you tasted freedom, and then suddenly you realized, all the time I thought I was living free, I was the one in bondage. I didn't even know. Right? Isn't that the truth? That's how that devil works. He, he has you believing that freedom is bondage and bondage is freedom. People would say, I would say, I would say to the Christians, I'd say, you go to church every Sunday? Every Sunday? Well, yeah, they'd say. Sometimes on Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights, too. Is this a cult? <laughs> Wednesdays and Sundays? Sounds like a cult to me. Now I would say back to them, you watch football every Sunday? Well, Sometimes Thursday nights. And Monday nights too. What? Are you involved in a cult? A football cult? By the way, church is shorter than a football game, so I think we're ahead there in the long run. Satan exaggerates. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Assassinating God's character. She starts exaggerating too. Oh, we, we can eat any of the trees, she corrects him. But if we touch this one tree, we'll die. That's not what God said. Why did she exaggerate? You know when you're around exaggerators, you exaggerate too, right? How big was that fish you caught? Oh, it was this big. Right? Just hold up that other arm so they think you're talking this big. Well, it really was this big, right? But that fish was this big, right? Yeah. You just start exaggerating, telling the fish tale. That's what she's doing. Then Satan starts to fiddle with the consequences. Well, you won't be dead. You'll be smart. Is that as blatant as we could see right there? Oh, you won't die. You'll be wise. You'll be just like God. You won't be dependent upon God. You'll be independent. You won't be left in the dark. You'll be in the know. Yeah, you'll know what sin is like. You'll know what bondage is like. You'll know, you'll know that you'll never be able to find the freedom unless God sends a Savior to you. You won't be ignorantly obeying, but you'll be knowing good and evil. This is a demonic tactic. I call it clouding. Where, God, where, where the enemy comes after the word that's been given you and he starts to cloud the consequences for disobedience for that word. So suddenly you don't see things the way they really are. You see them as obscured. He's trying to obscure the, 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 the real cost of disobedience. Disobedience has absolute cost to us. That word that's been deposited in our life, if we are disobedient to it, that's going to cost us something. The danger of believing the lie, of being disobedient, buying the lie, is that that liar, remember Jesus called him the father of lies, that lying is his native language. Jesus is giving us a clue there in John 8. This is his native language. Watch out for the lie. The hot sales job he's doing on your brain. 
trying to exaggerate or cause doubt of the word that's been given to you, trying to cause confusion in your mind, trying to separate you or deceive you. The danger in believing the lie is that it clouds all other decisions after that. Because it's like building a crooked foundation. No matter what you do after the foundation is laid, everything else, precept upon precept, line upon line, is built in your Christian life. And if you're building upon a crooked uh, foundation, it gets more and more crooked the higher you build. The only way to go back and fix that is to wreck everything and start all the way from Jump Street from the beginning all the way back up and build on obedience and not disobedience. The danger of believing a lie is that we somehow find ourselves living in deception. Jesus said you would know the truth and the truth would set you free. Consequently, if you live in deception, you may never know the truth. You may never find that freedom. The lie and then the look. It says that she saw the fruit, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. I don't know, must have been some good looking fruit because in my in my world, if you put out a bunch of fruit at a party and a bowl of Doritos, people always go for the Doritos. I don't know what it is. What is that? Fruit's good for you, right? People walk right by the fruit and go over for the other snacks, right? But this was so tantalizing. This was so beautiful. This fruit was so amazing that it, it caught her. Caught her eye. That's always how Satan does. He makes it seem so wonderful. And he lays this beautiful, beautiful thing out for you. And once it catches your eye, you're hooked. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 warns us about the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. The three basic components of sin. It begins right here with this eye. This eye gate. This gate uh, lets things in. We all want to believe that we have a Nigerian prince as an uncle. We all want to believe that Uncle Fred, who we didn't never met, lived in Nigeria and died and left us a fortune. Thankfully, this Nigerian prince has emailed us today to tell us that if we would just give him our... our Social Security, our bank account numbers, that he'll be able to deposit that right into our account. Most of us in here realize that's a scam. But we want to believe it. Right? You still read the whole email. Maybe I do have an Uncle Fred. Right? It's the eye gate. The eye gate is the same thing. When you open up the eye gate, it not only downloads things in, but it pulls things out. Takes that word that's been deposited in your spirit and pulls it out and downloads a bunch of junk in there that, that shouldn't be in there. And now you've got this thing that's corrupting your hard drive. Right? 
all because you opened up the eye gate, right? And that's exactly what she did. She looked over at it and she saw, it says, that it was desirable for food. Must have been a good looking fruit, huh? Beautiful fruit. And she saw that it was not only good for food, it was bonus points here, good for gaining wisdom. And it says, doesn't say that the enemy force-fed it to her. Doesn't say that. Her hard drive had become so corrupt with a glance and the lie, the look and the lie, that she reached out and grabbed it and took a bite of it. And life has never been the same on planet Earth. You see, because there's there's ramifications for sin. If I wouldn't have walked with the Lord, if I hadn't heard the voice of God out there when I was smoking dope in the middle of the woods and carving crosses in the tree and kind of doing some kind of religious fixation while I was getting stoned, if I hadn't heard the voice of God and given my life to Jesus, would my kids be saved? Would they be raised in the church? Would they be in the ministry? Would lives that have been affected by them? What about my grandchildren? You see, there's normal ramifications that go downhill from the, every decision we make. We should not fool ourselves into thinking that somehow we can insulate everyone else from just our sin. Sin affects everyone. If I go out tonight and become a drunk, then it's going to affect my wife. And it's going to affect my kids. And it's going to affect you. It's probably going to affect church attendance next week if I go become a drunk. I think you should be worried about that, Ronnie. <coughs> so we have to choose to keep ourselves between the ditches. We have to drive the road that God has given to us. Other people will tell us, that's bondage, but we are on the road now. We know what bondage looks like. Bondage looks like that. Not like what we are in. We, are free. we have freedom, and so we have this ability to do the look and the lie. Come and try to seduce Adam and Eve. And the condemnation comes upon Adam, of course. It's all through the eyes. Did you ever go away, maybe camping, and say, I'm not going to watch TV for a week? A week. Just a week. And the first day, you're like a crack addict out there, like, wonder who won Jeopardy. You know, you're just like, you, can't, you just can't handle it. You, know, you don't know what to do with yourself, you know. But by the end of the week, you've been delivered, and you realize that TV has been sucking hours out of your life, right? Just, just eating you alive. And then you determine... That was a good thing for you to be separated from that. And then you go back home and immediately what do you do? You walk in the room and you turn the TV on. Right? And immediately you go, Wah. My wife is amazed. If you don't know this about humanity, let me give you a clue. Women can multitask. Right? And so they can do more than one thing at a time. Right? So they can like watch TV and have a conversation. Not so the male of the species. The male of the species can either watch TV 
Or if you're lucky, it could take the garbage out. But it cannot do two things at the same time. It cannot have a conversation. Cannot because it's, It has to do with the way our brains don't split at the beginning, you know, it, when we're in utero, our brains don't split. It's really, that's really the truth. We, got, we can't handle it. We can't do more than one thing at a time. My, if my wife wants to get my attention, she has to stand in front of the television and say, are you listening? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm listening. Could you move to the left a little bit? This is a good play right here. I want to see what happens. They're eight yards out, babe. Can, we just, can this wait for a little bit? Because i got a one-track mind. We need to know these things about ourselves. Because the enemy comes to upset the apple cart, to steal the word that God has put inside of your, your life, to derail your destiny, to come and steal away your future. And if what we just said is true, it's not just your future, it's the future of you and your children and your children's children and your neighbors and your co-workers and people who need to know Jesus desperately. But they don't because... No one's told them yet. And so, you, you have this brokenness on the inside of you because the enemy's trying to steal it. And we, we recognize that's the lie and the look that gets her to commit to this thing. Wednesday night, I read the quote of a woman who I heard an audio interview with. I want to repeat that today. She said the church for the most part, preaches half the gospel. The, half, the gospel, the half that we preach all the time is that God forgives you of your sins. But that's only half the gospel. The other half the gospel is God also equips you with enough grace to say no to future sins. Amen? That's, that's good. That's good preaching right there. Even if I wasn't doing it, I would be going, Amen. Because we can't be helplessly bound to always be asking for forgiveness. I mean, we're always going to make mistakes, but there has, to be enough, there has to be enough power in the gospel that we can say, not going to fall for that again. When the slickster comes alongside you and begins to try to identify the word that's on the inside of you and derail your future and steal your children away from your God and try to take away all that God has given you and the promise of your deliverance and the promise of your freedom and the promise of your restored marriage and the promise of all the good things that he's put in your life, when he comes after that and he aims for that, don't fall for that slick trick. Don't fall for that slick. You say, I'm going to need help. Call upon me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things which you know not. That's what he promised to Jeremiah. The promise is that we would call upon him and he would bring grace, put it into our life. When we received communion this morning, what did we receive? Forgiveness for the past? Yes, of course, we received forgiveness for the past. But it's more than that. It's also grace for tomorrow. Grace for this afternoon. Grace to be able to say, I'm not going to let that home wrecker come into my life. I'm going to stand against that troublemaker and fight him tooth and nail because I know the word that God has put into my heart. Where are you at this morning? How are you dealing with temptation? Do you find yourself just keep coming back and saying, God, it's me again. Forgive me again. I fell again. Maybe, you don't, maybe you're not paying attention to the signs that he's giving you. 
to the sales job that He's putting on you. It's pretty easy if you just walk in the Spirit. The Lord will tell you, it sounds too good. If it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck. Right? And to me, that, that's, that's the difficulty. When, we're, when we go through our life, we often don't realize we're going to get waylaid. We're going to get waylaid by this tempter that comes after us. Jesus wants us to have the freedom to walk free from sin. Let me pray for you this morning. Can I pray for you this morning? That God will give you the ability to stand strong against the tempter when he comes this week. And let me say this with absolute certainty. He's coming. He's coming. If for no other reason than for this word that's being deposited in your heart. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. You may not know exactly what it is, but God knows what it is. And it's important that we understand the presence of God, that we understand the purpose of God. And we know that the promise that He puts in us and He deposits in us, we need to know that so when the enemy comes, that He can't steal that away. He doesn't pickpocket our soul. Father, in Jesus' name, when the enemy comes this week, may we not fall prey one more time again to that old slick line and that old slick look. Instead, Lord. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.